0: You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans. From the West Coast, I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, November 21st. And I'm here for the next 20 minutes or so to recap number four, Ohio State's 56 to seven bludgeoning of number seven, Michigan State in Columbus yesterday afternoon. Now look, the last few weeks I've spent these recap pods talking about what I liked and what I didn't like from Ohio State, but I can honestly say there just isn't enough in the latter category to take that approach today. So I'm just going to talk about what really stood out to me yesterday afternoon. So let's get to it. First, it was a vastly improved performance from the Ohio State defense yesterday. Defensive tackle Haskell Garrett set the tone early on Michigan State's first offensive play, knifing into the backfield on a handoff to Sparty's star tailback, Kenneth Walker III. Walker III was dropped for a loss on the play. Now Garrett also blew up a screenplay later in that drive to force a Michigan State punt. And that was pretty much how it went for Sparty all afternoon offensively the Ohio state defense held a pretty good michigan state offense that came into this game 24th nationally in total offense at 449 yards per game to only 224 total yards michigan state's only score came at garbage time in the fourth quarter against ohio state reserves kenneth walker the third the nation's leading rusher was limited to just 25 yards on six carries. Michigan State quarterback Peyton Thorne completed only 14 passes on 36 attempts for 158 yards. That's a 39% completion percentage. Sparty's top receiver, Jaden Reed, was really locked down by Buckeye freshman sensation Denzel Burke and Cam Brown. Reed finished the day with only two receptions for 28 yards, so just... Sparty could not get anything going on offense all day long, and kudos to the Ohio State defense for that. Look, you know, the Buckeye defense could have played poorly again yesterday, and it probably wouldn't have mattered. Ohio State would have won comfortably anyway, just with the way the offense had been playing. But I thought, and I said this last week in our preview pod, it was very important for the defense to get back on track for their playoff prospects. I thought the defense had shown you know, steady progress every Saturday since the Oregon loss. And last Saturday against Purdue it was really the first time it had taken a step or two back. So very important, I thought, for the defense to get back on track. Now, it looks like the PFF grades are still being tabulated. But as of right now, their overall grade for the Ohio State defense yesterday is 73.8, which, believe it or not, is Ohio State's highest grade since Rutgers, when they graded out at 82.3, and that was actually their highest grade of the season. But, you know, let's face it, that Rutgers offense wasn't anything close to what Sparty brought into the shoe yesterday. Interestingly, where the Ohio State defense really stood out, according to PFF, was in coverage. The Buckeyes received a grade of 81.3 in coverage, it was their highest grade in that category of the season. Denzel Burke, in particular, was great. He finished with a grade of 79.2, only allowing one completion yesterday. He finished with two pass breakups, Cam Brown, Marcus Williamson, Lathan Ransom, all finished with coverage grades in the about the 70% range. And really, that's what an Ohio State secondary is supposed to look like against a quarterback like Peyton Thorne, who, you know, let's face it, isn't exactly Peyton Manning. But that's what you would expect from an Ohio State secondary in a game like this. Now, the Ohio State pass rush was also vastly improved, grading out at 68.2%. A little below their usual standard, but still a huge jump from last week's 51.9% grade against Purdue. The Buckeyes sacked Peyton Thorne twice and finished the game with nine tackles for loss. But what really stood out to me, you know, aside from the statistical line and, and some of these PFF grades, what stood out to me more than anything was the energy and intensity on the field, especially in that second quarter when Ohio State had jumped out to that 35 nothing lead with about 10 minutes to play and Kirk Herbstreet even commented on this during the telecast it was the energy and the intensity from the Ohio State defense you could tell uh, they were playing with a purpose even with uh, you know a huge lead i believe herbstreit said something to the effect of you know they were playing as if the score were still 0-0 and that really stood out to me it was a stark contrast to what we saw Around that same time in the second quarter last week against Purdue, when Ohio State had a giant lead at that stage in the game, you didn't see the same intensity from the Ohio State defense. I thought they also had a little bit better uh, matchup with Michigan State in this game and I think a better game plan than they did last week. But the energy and the intensity were were a stark contrast to what we saw from that unit last week against Purdue. I was very happy to see that. Another thing I really liked – Uh, From the defense was the combination of steel chambers and Tommy Eichenberg at linebacker in this game. Now, Cody Simon, who started alongside steel chambers, uh, you know, to start the game, uh, he only played two snaps before leaving the game with what I believe is an undisclosed injury. Some folks maybe thought it was uh, he might have had a concussion, but uh, that led to 50 snaps for Tommy Eichenberg. Now, that was his second highest snap count of the season. And Eichenberg was Ohio State's fourth highest graded defender yesterday with a grade of 75.9. I think uh, Page pointed this out in our preview pod on Thursday. He said, Sparty, this was a game for a player like Tommy Eichenberg, right? And, And that was certainly the case. And give Eichenberg credit. He delivered yesterday. He finished the game uh, tied with Court Williams as Ohio State's leading tackler with seven. By the way, Williams, uh, who has not played much of the season, also played very well. He was he was graded very highly by PFF somewhere in the 80s. I think I believe he was Ohio State's second highest rated uh, graded defender in this game. So uh, credit Court Williams. I, I actually wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more Williams. I like his athleticism, and he seems like a very sure tackler as well. Okay, so let's move over to the more obvious stuff here, starting with C.J. Stroud. Stroud completed 32 of 35 for 432 yards and six touchdown passes. Now, the bulk of those numbers came in the first half, including all six of his touchdown passes. Stroud set a school record with 18 straight completions. He is in total command of this offense. Now, I I understand he's working with the greatest set of skill talent in the country. There's no doubt about that, but that doesn't mean Stroud isn't playing at an extremely high level himself. There's a really good piece from Bill Landis on The Athletic right now that I, I recommend you check out if you haven't already. And it talks about the little things that Stroud is doing, especially with his eyes, to hold the safeties in place, which allows uh, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to get open. And and most importantly, Stroud is delivering the ball on time and in a way that his receivers can do great things after the catch. So I think Stroud deserves much more credit than he's getting from some of the national pundits right now. I think the national view on Stroud is, is that he's, I don't want to say a system quarterback, but he's definitely benefiting from... Ryan Day is a play caller, and all of this elite talent around him. But I think he's much more than that. I, I, I really do. And and uh, it, it's really pretty amazing that only a few weeks ago you had uh, a pretty large contingent of Ohio State fans that uh, wanted to see Kyle McCord uh, get more opportunities. I think you know after the Penn State performance and, and the Nebraska performance, you know, looking back on that, it just seems absurd because Stroud has just been so good. Uh, you know, and hey, let's <laughs> you got to give the kid a little bit of room uh, to, to grow here. You got to give him a little bit of margin for for being a first year starter and only a red-shirt freshman. He's been, you know, nothing short of, of, of fantastic these last couple of weeks, especially now through 10 games, Stroud is completing now 71.1% of his passes and 36 touchdowns. To only five interceptions. He's only been sacked nine times, which speaks to the amazing protections he's getting from probably the best offensive line in the country. However, Stroud has been masterful in the pocket at evading pressure. He's been really, really good about that. And that has also helped keep that sack total to an absolute minimum. Now, if you look at how Stroud's numbers through 10 games compares to Justin Fields in his first season, which was 2019, and we remember what a special season that was for Fields. Remember, he was also a Heisman finalist that year, Fields was. Through 14 games, Fields completed 67.2% of his passes. He threw for 3,273 yards, which, you know, look, Stroud has already exceeded that total. 41 touchdowns to only three interceptions, but Fields was sacked 31 times that season. I completely forgot about that. It was a staggering sack total. But look, I mean, Stroud's statistical line right now is very comparable to what Fields did in 2019 and in some areas is already significantly better. He's got a higher completion percentage. He's already through 10 games is thrown for more yards. He's at 36 touchdowns with at least two more games to go, I think he's going to exceed that 41 touchdown total that Fields had pretty easily. Look, Stroud is a no-brainer Heisman front runner along with Alabama quarterback uh, Bryce Young. I mean, I think it's, it's a clear two-man race now at this stage, and it's really going to come down to how both play against their rivals this coming weekend. Stroud obviously against Michigan, and uh, young on the road at Auburn and also in their conference title games. Now, I know Ohio State still has yet to qualify for Indianapolis, but I'm, you know, feeling pretty good about that at this stage. Another thing I absolutely loved from yesterday Earth, Wind, and Fire. Look, that might be the greatest moniker in Ohio State history. And I think it's appropriate for what. The trio of Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba are doing because it is historical greatness. So it they should have probably the greatest moniker in Ohio State history uh, applied here. The devastating wide receiver trio for Ohio State combined yesterday for 24 receptions for 371 yards and five touchdown catches. And, you know, all three went over 100 yards receiving for the second time this season, which, if I'm not mistaken, is only the second time in school history that three receivers have all gone over 100 yards in the same game. Look, we all knew it was going to be a horror show for the Sparty secondary. And uh, but, you know, look, I I think Michigan State fans can take a little solace in the fact that earth, wind and fire have been doing this to pretty much everyone all season long, uh, regardless of the opponent. So. You know, not much the Michigan State secondary could have done. Uh, Chris Olave strengthened his case for the Belitnikoff Award. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how Olave is the only Ohio State receiver that is a Belitnikoff semifinalist, but Olave strengthened his case for that award with 140 yards receiving on seven receptions and two touchdown catches although I think his acrobatic catch that he made at the one yard line in the first, I believe it was the second quarter to help Stroud set the school record for consecutive completions might have been his personal best of all time. That was an unbelievable catch. It was kind of like a, you know, a Willie Mays over the uh, shoulder catch, um, you know, body twisting and contorting, getting both feet in before he landed out of bounds. What a catch that was. And you know, it also helped his quarterback set a school record for consecutive completions. Really, really cool moment there. High State is poised to, to have all three of those receivers, Alave, Wilson and Smith and Jigba, finish with over a thousand yards receiving this season. Now, that'd be the first time that's ever happened in school history. I'm not even sure Ohio State has ever had two receivers go over a thousand yards in the same season. I could be wrong about that. I don't have the record books here in front of me, but... uh I I am also assuming, though I'm not 100% sure of it, that the Big Ten has never seen three receivers from the same team in the same season go over 1,000 yards. Again, I could be wrong about that, but I would bet pretty good money that if it does happen here with with this Ohio State trio, it'll be the first time both in school history and a Big Ten history that's ever happened. We may never see anything like what we're seeing from Earth, Wind & Fire ever again at Ohio State, so savor it, Buckeye fans. So where will this performance land Ohio State in Tuesday's updated playoff rankings? After watching Bama struggle at home again, you know, this time it was with Arkansas uh, winning only 42 to 35 in a game that was very competitive well into the fourth quarter and watching Oregon getting its doors blown off by Utah 38 to 7. I don't know how the Buckeyes aren't your clear number two right behind Georgia on Tuesday night. To me, it's a no brainer. But, you know, anything is possible with the playoff committee, and we know they love Alabama. The tide always seems to get the benefit of the doubt from the playoff committee. So I would not be surprised if Bama hangs on to that number two spot. But Ohio State, I don't think you could make a stronger case than they've made over these last two weeks with the way they performed against a. You know, top twenty opponents in Purdue and uh, Michigan State. We know at the very least the Buckeyes will move into the number three spot, and then it's a question of where the playoff committee will have Michigan. Uh, I think it'll probably be number five. Um, I think Cincinnati, who I've been very critical of on this podcast, as as folks who, who listen to this pod will know, I think Cincinnati moves up to number four, and now the door appears to be wide open for the Bearcats to get into the playoff. I mean, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm saying this, but you know with with Oregon face planning as we kind of all knew eventually they would with a, a lot of uncertainty in the Big 12 maybe Oklahoma State can make a case to get that fourth playoff spot but i don't know for me it looks like it's there for the taking for cincinnati uh, still a lot of football left to be played but cincinnati fans have to love where they're sitting right now finally it's officially michigan week The Wolverines trounced lowly Maryland yesterday, 59 to 18. I like the Buckeyes. They sit at 10 and 1 and will be no lower than number 5 in this week's playoff ranking, setting up a winner-take-all top 5 matchup in Ann Arbor for the Big Ten East Division and a spot in the Big Ten title game. This is the way that it's supposed to be, right, Buckeye fans? I still don't really know how good Michigan actually is To me, it looks like pretty much the same formula that Harbaugh's been using there all along. Good defense, solid but not explosive running the ball, solid but not explosive throwing the ball. Look, it hasn't been enough to beat Ohio State in the past. And in most cases, hasn't even been enough to keep Michigan in the football game against Ohio State. It's not going to be enough if that's all we're going to see from Michigan this coming Saturday, it will not be enough to hang with Ohio State. Now, I plan to wrangle Paige and Chad for a much more thorough preview of this game on Thursday, but I'll leave you with these numbers to ponder until then. Last year's game in Columbus was canceled. As we all remember, it was a COVID cancellation, but Jim Harbaugh is 0-5 against Ohio State since becoming Michigan's head coach in 2015. Against Harbaugh, Ohio State is averaging 44 points per game and winning by an average margin of 19. Another few numbers I want to leave you with. Michigan and Ohio State have six common opponents this season. Rutgers, Nebraska, Michigan State, Indiana, Penn State, and Maryland. Michigan is 5-1 against those opponents, outscoring them 194-121. That's a point differential of 73. Ohio State is 6-0 against those same opponents, outscoring them 287-85. to 85. That's a point differential of 202. So, look at those point differentials. 73 for Michigan, they're 5-1 against those opponents. 202 for Ohio State, 6-0 against those opponents. And of course, the one common opponent that really stands out is Michigan State, who handed Michigan its only loss of the season, and who Ohio State just beat by seven touchdowns. Okay, that's going to do it for me. We'll be back, as I say, with a preview of the Michigan game on Thursday. And until then, thanks so much for listening, and have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.